This is such a cool state. I mean, come on, live free or die. You're the state where the shot was heard around the world. That last Senate I don't know if you're aware you're in New Hampshire. People in New Hampshire don't care about money. You can't buy a vote in New Hampshire. They want to see you, they want to touch you. I would like to do small groups, but if we announce that I'm coming to like a restaurant, all of a sudden there's, you know, a thousand people show up. His imagination must not be married to real power. Why not? You just don't want to see us fall backwards. You go to New Hampshire, there are not any minorities there and nobody lives there. Liar! Thank you, New Hampshire. And now, from the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire, the existential flagship of presidential primary activity, your host, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, Neil Levesque, and because every ship needs a rusty anchor, Josh McKelvin. New Hampshire Live starts now. Right, welcome back to New Hampshire Live. New Hampshire continues to be a very busy place with all the Democratic presidential candidates up here. We are joined uh, thankfully, by uh, John Delaney, Democrat from Maryland, three-time congressman, running for president. Now your 18th trip yep. to New Hampshire. How's New Hampshire treating you? New Hampshire's treating me great. Uh, you know, this is our 18th trip, and we've been all around the state. And the, the voters here are obviously as experienced and sophisticated and as knowledgeable as any voter in the country. And so it's a wonderful opportunity to talk to them about our future. How do you, a lot of candidates struggle a little bit with the, the intimacy early on and the, the closeness that a lot of voters have come to expect with right. the candidates when they come up here. Is that something that you, are you comfortable with? Or it's my favorite part. Right. So nothing makes me happier than sitting around and answering questions from voters. Really? Right. The town hall style politics that you have here is my absolute favorite thing. Because, um, you know, I, I think I'm knowledgeable on the issues. I've thought about all this stuff. I have a plan for everything, and, you know, you all give me an opportunity to talk about it. You're in a field that continues to grow by the day. I think we're up to, what, 24 candidates? I don't even know. I mean, by the time this airs, it'll be dated, and there'll be five more. But you said recently, your words, that uh, you were concerned about the half-baked socialist policies coming from the left. Are you, are you concerned that this is going to wind up undermining you know, some of these uh, uh, policies and policy proposals that you're hearing from the left wind up under, undermining the overall uh, Democratic ticket? Well, I do worry about it because, look, at I think one of the, I think it's great we have a lot of candidates who need a battle of ideas, but it can turn into, like, who can put off at, out the most free things, right? Or who can put forth a policy that doesn't actually make sense but sounds good. Free college. Free yeah, because college. that will undermine our ability to do the most important thing we need to do, which is win. Right, the quality of the policy actually matters, as I think we're seeing right now with this president, who actually doesn't have policy ideas. But I think some of these notions, like I'm for universal health care. I think every American should have health care as a basic right. I think it's a human right. I think it's smart economic policy. But people who are saying that we should only have a single government payer for health care and not have a mixed model like I'm proposing, like the German model, I think are, are putting forth bad policy. Because a lot of Americans have private health insurance and they like it. So why are we running on taking away people's health insurance? That doesn't sound like how we win elections. But as a more fundamental level, the problem with the government paying, being the only payer in health care is they never pay enough. Right? You see here in New Hampshire, your Medicaid system doesn't pay nearly enough to keep the lights on in places. So between Medicaid and Medicare, Medicaid only pays 80% of cost. Medicare only pays 95% of cost. If you just had Medicaid and Medicare paying all the bills... Every hospital in this country would close, right? Com commercial insurance pays a lot more relative to Medicaid and Medicare. 
they pay 115, 120% of cost. So there's an example of where my policy ideas are just better. I have a universal healthcare system. It's a mixed model. It'll put us in a place where everyone has healthcare, but the quality will be better. How do you break through? Uh, because you have so many voices out there, even the ones that aren't running necessarily for yeah. president. I think for me, the way I'm going to break through is my ideas are better. And I'm running as a moderate. And I think it's going to be very clear to the Democratic primary voter come this fall that the only way we beat Trump is with a moderate. We have to, have to capture the center if we're going to win. And this and, and as this economy stays strong, which I'm happy about, by the way, I mean, it's not strong for everyone. There's a lot of problems. But in general, the, the trends we've seen that we saw start under President Obama have continued. And uh, I think that makes it even more important to have someone like myself who can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the president on the economy, who people in the center, moderates, independents, can trust with the economy but have better ideas instead of improve the country. I want to get your take on, on uh, what we learned in 2016 with the election of Donald Trump. I mean, clearly... Uh, we had a candidate, a couple of candidates who could be considered the most flawed presidential candidates in the history of presidential politics. Yeah. Um, but, you know, voters seemed to send a message that they were ready to break free from the status quo. It was a change election. Sure. But now we're seeing the debate down in Washington in, in Congress about the, the Mueller report and uh, whether it's you know a done deal or if that's been settled, whether it's a settled issue or not. Uh, and hearing less about the issues that a lot of voters, you know, want to hear about. Right. Are they making the same mistakes all over again? And I mean, Congress as a whole. Well, listen, I think when we don't talk to the American people about issues they care about, we're always making a big mistake. And I, I think a lot of Americans care about the lawlessness of the president and his administration and the corruption, which I do. But at the end of the day, my focus is on beating him in the ballot box and actually leading a country where we stop some of this noise. We stop all this fighting. And we stop engaging in a bunch of stuff that's interesting for the insider class, but not that relevant for your average American trying to get through the day and raise their families. And I want to talk about issues that matters to those people, like lowering drug prices, improving health care, improving public education, um, building infrastructure, creating more economic opportunity, confronting digital privacy, you know, the, a lack of privacy that we have as individuals with these technology companies. These are the issues I really want to talk about. Right. And clearly, I mean, you, you, you're you very thoughtful in your approach, and you have some depth with your policy yes. proposals, more so than a lot of the candidates. Uh, than any of them, I think. By some estimation. Yeah. Um, I'll let the voters decide that. But uh, here in New Hampshire, we also like to find a little bit about the person, yeah, too. Sure. Like, what, so what do you do in your spare time? Are you, well, I've got, so um, I, I'm blessed to be incredibly happily married to an amazing woman. We've been married for 29 years. Uh, and uh, we have four daughters. Four April, four, right? April, yeah. Mm -hmm. Who's the uh, uh, runs the Washington office for a group called Common Sense Media, yes. which deals with media literacy and kids. She's one of the leading experts in the country on the topic. And we have four daughters: 26, 22, 18, and twelve. And uh, so, when I'm not working, I love to spend time with my family. And when I'm when I have a little less extra time, when I'm not working and not spending time with my family, I try to work out, stay in shape. Give me that age list again: twenty six. 22, 18, and just turned 12. So you're, you, know, you still have some work ahead of you. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, and four daughters. Four daughters. Four wow. amazing young women. You look good for having four daughters. <laughs> I have two daughters, and I feel How old are they? Old. Uh, 14 and 12. So you've so. got, your 12 is in sixth grade also? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then the 14's in eighth grade? Yes, going yeah. into ninth grade, which is yeah. terrifying yeah. to me. So I'm two out of college, one going to college next year. And uh, and then our little tag along, Grace. What do they think about all this? I mean, this well, I, I would say to different degrees. So some of them, uh, uh, two of them are really into it, like really, really into it. 
and two of them, it's I would describe it as not their thing, but they're not against it. <laughs> right. right? Uh, you know, one one of my They've daughters, been to Washington, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna yeah. name by name which one is this way, but for example, one of one of my daughters is incredibly creative. Uh, and you think yeah. she'd be opposed to you naming that she was crazy? No, but 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 <laughs> she's she's really into creativity and art and things like that, right? So right. so she's not that interested in, in politics. And uh, one of my daughters is like totally into it. And my view is uh, I support them in whatever they want to do. Um, they've been very supportive of me. I've been incredibly blessed, and um, you know, so they can get as involved as much or as little as they want. My my little one, Grace. Uh, who's 12, so she's not that little anymore. Uh, she loves, she's, she's into it. She likes coming up. Really? You know, she, yeah, she likes hitting the road with us, and this summer she'll be doing a bunch of that. And yeah. uh, she just loves it. So I, it's great. So we, we bring her along. And you're enjoying the process. Oh, no, it's great. In the family. I mean, it's, they've been it, through it before. It's an unbelievable privilege. Right. To be well, able a lot to of people think New Hampshire, you know, is an antiquated notion, and it's no, corny, and, and it, it's, wrong. you know, what, make the case on why they're wrong. Well, it's I, pretty I agree simple. It's pretty simple, because... If we didn't have New Hampshire and Iowa, I'm going to put you guys in the same sure. position. Thank you. Then, effectively, the, the folks who would choose our nominees are, is cable television and social media. Twitter and social media would choose our nominees if we didn't have New Hampshire and Iowa. And wouldn't that be a shame? And I got yes, nothing against journalists. In fact, my oldest daughter is a journalist, and I'm incredibly proud of her. But I just think at the end of the day, you need to meet people. And you need to figure out what's not only in their head, their policies and their ideas, but what's in their heart. Like, why do they want to be the president? And is it for a good reason? And I just think that matters so much. And you and the folks in Iowa, when I say you, I mean New Hampshire, sure. you do that. You sit down with us and you say, I'm going to try to figure out what this person is all about. What are their values? You know, are they a person of integrity and character? Are they someone I trust? And, um, and that's a process. I a, agree. It's yeah. a process, and it's not linear right. in many ways, right? It's not like you can just read a story and read the five paragraphs and come to a conclusion, right? It's intuitive, and it's based on personal interaction. So if Iowa and New Hampshire didn't do it, someone would have to do it, and you all have proven to be pretty darn good at it, and I think you guys take it incredibly seriously. I, I get this sense of stewardship. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what well, we like to call it the state sport, right? Politics, yeah. but there is a real sense of civic engagement yeah. and a duty that's associated with it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you brought up the media. How are we doing on time? Are we doing all right? I, um, you brought up the media. You say you have a daughter that's a journalist. I was a journalist for 25 years in broadcast journalism. I'm so proud of her. Uh, um, as you should be, because we totally. need some, you know, I think journalism is... More important now than it's ever been. It is, but there's also, I mean, Donald Trump didn't make up the bias in the media, I don't think. I think that he just exploited it to a degree to point it out, and no one's apologizing for it. And I hope that as the next generation of journalists, your daughter probably recognizes that there needs to be a real clear indication of what's fact versus opinion. That's right. And and this is where, like, we've seen, look, there's a lot of, first of all, you have social media, which isn't journalism. And I think elected officials have to say that all the time. Social media is not journalism. That doesn't mean it's not great and all that stuff, but you should not use it as your place of gathering news. Because you, as a journalist, you have a professional code of conduct and standards that you apply when you report people and you understand the sacred trust you have. And anyone can say anything they want on social media, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, and again, it's all positive. All this stuff is good. 
but you got to understand the limitations, right? When you have 24 hours of news to fill, you suddenly have a lot of people providing opinions. Nothing wrong with that. But it used to be very clear in the newspaper when you turn to the kind of the last page, typically of the first section, it would be the opinion section. And you knew it was someone's opinion. Right. And now there's a big merging going on between opinions and reporting. And I think opinions are valuable. I mean, look at, I read opinion pieces all the time. My favorite thing is to sit back and read the Atlantic magazine, you know, after the news cycle is over, right? Get a real perspective on what happened, for example. But we, we have to make sure there's a difference between the news and providing it in an unbiased way and uh, opinion. I don't think, I don't believe in fake news. I think the, the, the reputable media organizations are reporting the truth. There's obviously some emphasis, but there's this big merger between opinion pieces and commentary and reporting. And I just think we have to be more skilled as consumers. And I think also the journalist organizations have an obligation to make it clear when it's opinion versus. Absolutely news. agree. But the responsibility has never been greater for the viewer or the Absolutely. reader to make the distinction between the two. Yeah. And that's, you know, my wife's organization, Common Sense Media, actually works on that, actually. Good. I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear this. Sounds like a, a fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, does she uh, come out on the, the on oh, the yeah. fail with you? She does sometimes. As much as she can. But we still have. You know, again, uh, my uh, third daughter's going to college next year, but uh, we still have, like you do, a sixth grader, so we've got to balance those things. All right. What do you, what do you think the, uh, the defining issue of this primary uh, process is going to wind up being? I mean, obviously, it's not going to go. Yeah, it, <laughs> I, I actually is that, is that the Is that the winning message? Whoever well, no, I, I, don't, I don't know. You don't run on that. You run on the, what you're going to do for the country, exactly. obviously. Right. Uh, but I do think at the end of the day, you ask what the defining issue is, I think, Democratic primary voters are going to have to feel very confident that their nominee can defeat President Trump, because that's the most important thing. But then moving to the general, you got to shift into that. you got to be a problem solver. Exactly. I think what this country is tired of, like maybe not the extremes on each side who have largely held this country hostage and who are not interested in progress in many ways, but everyone else. You step one, you, you take one step in from the far right and the far left, you get this huge block of Americans who just wants to stop the noise solve problems, find common ground, get things done, and restore common purpose to who we are as a people. That is the message that wins the general election. Well, best of luck to you moving forward. Thank Fair you. It's so great to be here. here with you. Yeah, come back to the show yeah. again in a couple Anytime of months, okay? Yeah. Thanks very much, Congressman. Thanks. Good to see you.